Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. My name is Maria Anstran Fuentes. I am an assistant professor at the Management and Organization Department, doing research on different forms of grassroots organizations that are engaged in building sustainable futures. I am particularly interested in understanding how different forms of sustainable organizing are shaped by how people relate to and connect with nature, or more precisely, with the land that they stand on. I have a particular interest in understanding the organizing of life in community, not just the organizing of human life, but of all life that sustains the living landscapes that we humans are part of. My past research on territorial conflicts against forestry and pulp mill projects in South America has made me acutely aware of how this organizing of, or should I even say defense of life, plays out differently from within modern cultures that separate between humans and nature than from within indigenous cosmologies, where humans and nature are not considered separate but part of a larger web of relations. I think understanding this difference is crucial if we are to solve the sustainability challenges of our time. In this episode of the podcast Sustainability Unwrapped, I talked to Sami activist Petra Laiti about how the Sami, the Arctic indigenous people of Europe, defend and organize their ancestral life forms in Sápmi, the Sámi homelands that stretch over the northern parts of Finland, Sweden, Norway, as well as parts of the Kola Peninsula in Russia. The total Sámi population is estimated to be 80,000 people, of whom approximately 10,000 live in Finland. Petra Laite is one of the visible figures in the defense of Sápmi, and the Sami culture against the threat of colonialism and various forms of natural resource extraction. Throughout her life, Petra has been building bridges between the Sami realities and the dominant national cultures in the Nordics. A few years ago, she participated in the Ellos Deatnu movement in defense of the Sami rights to fish in their ancestral waters. The movement opposed new governmental regulations that stripped the local Sami community of fishing salmon, which has always been part of their livelihoods, and a way of maintaining the Sami way of life in the river region. Petra speaks of how Sami ways of life throughout history have been endangered by colonial practices and how their relation to land and water uphold a particular kind of sustainability that is difficult to understand from non-indigenous viewpoints. To this day, windmills, mining and railway projects are some of the government-supported development projects that are threatening to disrupt the Sami culture. In this conversation, we talk about all these threats that Sami communities are currently facing and how their struggle to survive as indigenous people can be supported by us, the non-indigenous allies. I'll just start here with, I'm, I'm sitting here with Petra Laiti. Hi. You're a, hello. <laughs> You're actually a Sami activist. Uh, yes. And I can see already we will not have these pictures with us in the podcast, but I can see a beautiful uh, Sami gowns in the background. So. Yeah, I have them right there because I, I need them uh, very often. But I also, I, I sew my own gowns, so I need to have them uh, available so that I can see where I've done what with the gowns and, and whatnot. So I, I always have them somewhere visible. Yes, beautiful. I see the, the one that is half done also, or you're working yeah. on it. <laughs> beautiful. Teach me how to. <laughs> So what I wanted to do, and I mean, I've followed you for a few years, and I know you are quite active on the Sami scene of, of uh, protecting and defending Sami traditional rights. So I, I really wanted to hear more about that kind of organization and, and, and a little bit about how, how you look at, uh, like, climate change and, and your role in, in bringing forth 
sustainable solutions. So, first of all, uh, Petra, what I would like to ask you is, is actually, how did you yourself become active and what is it actually that you're active in at the moment? Because you are quite broad. So, what was the moment that made you realize, I need to be, be getting active on these topics? Well, um I would actually say that there was there wasn't necessarily a moment where I would have realized that I need to be more active, but rather the moment was more so about the fact that I realized that oh, I actually have an audience now. Um because my story um well, I I personally believe my story to be a, a, a bit exceptional in relation to uh other Sami because uh, I have moved a lot in my childhood so I've lived in in different countries and and around the Nordics and and um most of my life I've grown up outside of Sami but uh despite that uh northern Sami is my my mother tongue my first language um so this uh, i perceive this situation to be rare where you both grow up outside of sami traditional lands but you also carry with you the language because um i mean one could almost say that it's sort of like a cultural privilege to be able to grow up with the language and not uh have to um regain the language later on in life um so i've both been cut off from the traditional lands for most of my life but but i've also had a privilege of being very connected to to the culture and so um my story actually begins from a very young age because uh the the fire and the passion that i got for speaking up for um sami rights and and uh spreading knowledge and information about the sami actually comes from the fact that i've always been the only sami at whichever school i've attended so it almost became a norm for me that uh i am supposed to or or not rather that i'm supposed to but rather um the realization that something that was so uh, normal to me was very foreign to everyone else around me and i felt that uh i can't really truly make friends with anyone unless they also are aware of my culture and my heritage which shape the way i see the world and so ever since uh i started school i've held different kinds of presentations i've talked about sami issues and sami rights um so i remember the first actual presentation i did for a school about the sami culture was when i was 8 years old So uh if I count from that then I've I'll soon be celebrating my 20th year <laughs> of of this career. Um but the fact uh, or the moment where I really um started to understand it in like an activist and a and a, a rights advocate advoca- advocacy context was in high school. Uh because that's when I realized that not only do people not know about the sami but i also realized that i've been talking about the sami to my friends and to people around me for a decade and people are still as ignorant so that's where i i really found um the frustration that sort of drives so many young people into not just indigenous activism but also climate activism and, and what have you um and once i i went to university to hanken uh this was in 2014 um very shortly after that uh i attended my first meeting for soma saminorat which is the finnish uh, sami youth organization and um i was immediately uh, elected into the board of of that organization and uh i very very quickly um realized that i had a lot to give that organization and so uh, the people in there um they they put their faith in me and and then um three months after i joined the organization i was already on my first trip to the united nations um and it's been quite a ride since then um i started uh, an activist twitter account in 2017 um at the same time that i was fighting for fishing rights in in the Tetna river valley in 2017 
Uh, and after I started my Twitter account, I think uh, during the first year, I gained about 4,000 followers, a bit more than that. And uh, I ended up winning a couple of civil society awards also for raising awareness on Sami issues. Um, but it was this momentum where um, people were generally becoming more aware of minority rights in Finland. And there just happened to be like this sweet spot where there was a need for um, it just just about anyone who was willing to say things uh, in a way where it was targeted towards the majority, uh, the majority Finns, because um, or that's the way that I've always done things is that I've always acted as the Sami sole person in a Finnish majority or a Swedish majority uh classroom or audience and so i just naturally try to frame my words in a way where i try to explain it to people who are basically ignorant about the issue and so this was something i didn't realize until later on that this is why it happened to me me who who suddenly made a name for myself but i suppose that's what it was uh it was about it was the fact that it, there was this momentum for minority rights in finland but also the fact that there was this momentum for uh the majority people to to start to reflect on their ignorance on minority issues in finland and then um after 2017 there were many consecutive years of large uh tumultuous land conflicts in Sakmi which both uh gave completely new levels of exposure to Sami voices um but it also um uh, in a way affected the way that majority people expect decision makers to take the Sami people into account so um I by no means do I want to tra- take too much credit for for any of this, but I would say that it has been uh, largely thanks to uh, Sami who are active on social media who spread this awareness I- within the majority people who have been helping to pave this way for the fact that okay now we are looking at a time where things may possibly actually change. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot of different dimensions and aspects to what you have been doing it's not been just defending one place from some kind of extraction it's been many different things that you and on, on many different level that you have been working which is really what i find fascinating because as you said it's not that i think it's not that common and and what i've seen from the indigenous struggles where i've been working is is that very often it's the difficulty of transcending definitely and, yeah and, and that that is maybe a, a, of, of reaching out and and one of the re- even reaching out within the same community uh might be a difficulty in some some circumstances because because of this ignorance that exists it's not just that it exists somewhere away of course maybe you could explain a little bit because in finland i guess we have a little bit different situation that we have the sapmi territory that is quite defined so so the the culture is attached to particular sp- places isn't it so in comparison to other places they don't define oh, it according to a border yeah, definitely um in many ways uh it, it's completely realistic to say that the sami are the most or if not the most then definitely one of the most privileged indigenous peoples uh, in the world uh, and that has a lot to do with the fact that we live in uh, nordic countries um with uh, a centralized social uh, healthcare system and school system and whatnot and this is not to say that 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 wouldn't have done harm to the sami of course it has but in a way the very sort of uh, i i would almost say the the mundane bureaucracy of the nordics uh, has also made the sami very privileged on a global scale and many issues that indigenous peoples face globally are things that the sami face on a very very minimal scale compared to many others this includes for instance food security the sami are comparatively a rich indigenous people compared to other indigenous peoples and we are not a people that is starving 
in the same way that that uh, indigenous peoples in poorer regions are. In, in the same way, the Sami territories are not places for, um, I'm not going to say completely void of, of violent conflicts. Of course, there is there are tensions and there are violent um, instances, but we do not have a similar kind of uh, violent history with the majority people in the, in that it could be compared to, say, the Native Americans uh, in the States. So in that sense, the Sami have been very, very lucky. But that's not to say that our struggles aren't seriously affecting the survival of, of our culture. But I would say uh, in regards to the theme of transcendence, I think one of the most difficult things that one has to consider as an indigenous activist um, is the fact that the end all goal of everything is to regain self-determination and self-governance to the indigenous people in question. But in order to do so, both the the majority people and the indigenous people themselves need to be awakened to the fact that this is not just possible but the right thing to do and so it's very difficult it's a difficult balance to strike where you have to consider the things that what does the majority people need to know in order to be able to help us and in order to help us reinstate control over our communities, but uh, in a way where the majority people won't um, end up taking over that control. Um, and I feel like this is a universal, universal issue in, in indigenous uh, politics where um, it is completely justified that indigenous communities have a deep mistrust towards the government and towards the majority people. And so we, while we know that we need the support of the majority people, we have completely legitimate reasons not to want that support and not to want that help. And this makes activism very, very difficult. But uh, luckily for, for my career, um, the Finnish majority people have been basically completely ignorant towards Sami issues. So I have a lot of room to to provide information and to provide context and, and people have a lot of room to learn. So we're not yet at a dangerous phase where knowledge about the Sami becomes control over the Sami. Um, but rather it is the ignorance that is is the the thing that regains control over the Sami. Um, but if I was to to uh, compare the the land situation very briefly, then I would say that um, yes, the Sami area in in Finland is is very defined. It has even uh, a basic legal framework that binds it to certain issues. Um, similarly to to uh, Norway and Sweden, for instance, there are lots of things that um, basically define the area as as Sami territories. Um, but there is uh, both in Sweden and Finland, and then, of course, Russia is a whole nother chapter, um, both in Sweden and in Finland, there is still um, basically no progress in uh, land rights issues and uh, recognizing that, um, or I'll put it this way, we have a defined Sami territory, but we have no recognition that the land in that territory is Sami land, which is a bit contradictory. Because the, the legal framework allows for Sami livelihoods to exist in Sami territories and in Sami lands. But then again, the, the land governing processes take no, um, take no action in, in, in regards to, to Sami rights and, and Sami consultation, uh, and indeed Sami decision making over those lands. So the, Mm, the Sami struggles in Finland have a lot to do with the fact that we are recognized as the indigenous people uh, of our lands uh, and we have a constitutional right and a position to exercise our indigenous culture. But then um, we don't have the laws necessary to to make that right into reality, basically. Mm. Mm. And is that exactly that's is that what you have been working? You mentioned uh, fishing rights in the what's the name of the, the river in in English? Actually, there are many different names in Finnish, Swedish, and in well, 
Well, the, I don't actually know if there is an English name, but oh, we call either. it we call it Tehnu uh, in English also. But it is Tenojoki in in Finnish, uh, Tana in Norwegian. Um, but yes, so I was there working working with fishing rights issues. Yeah, is that then connected to this that you say that there's no recognition? Yes, um, because one of the central issues in the Tehnu fishing agreement dispute. Uh, was the fact that while um, the Sami are defined as the indigenous people of Oseyohka, the municipality, uh, the Sami people as indigenous people have no rights according to, to the fishing law. Uh, but rather the fishing rights are uh, separated with um, the categories locals and non-locals. But the problem is that a local isn't necessarily a Sami and a non-local isn't necessarily a tourist. I, for, for at the moment, I am a non-local, uh, but my family, uh, my heritage is in those waters, in those fishing areas and in that culture. Um, and so the law doesn't consider me a rights holder, even though I should be the one to to learn that traditional livelihood, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, and I'm like I'm only uh, one example of this. There are many many more. Um, but the, one of the the problems is that and, and what actually makes this law uh, possibly racist as well is the fact that uh, Sami youth who grew up grow up in Ohtsjoka are mostly for at least a time uh, forced to move away from Ohtsjoka if they wish to get a higher education degree, for instance. Um, so the, the structure of the law does not consider, uh, the pressure that is put on indigenous youths, um, but rather the law forces indigenous young people to choose between what kinds of future they want to take. And, um, and it doesn't consider the fact that the Sami culture has always been um in motion we move constantly we move around we move around between the seasons we live in different places during winters and summers everything in our livelihoods is based on movement from one place to another and so um it, it just it just doesn't take this this culture into consideration but it also um doesn't recognize the fact that since we are defined as the indigenous people uh, people of the area in the constitution, we should constitutionally have a right to be uh, equal negotiating partners when these issues are considered. And definitely in, in the 2017 case, um, this did not happen. And Finland uh, actually got uh, a complaint from the UN, the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, um, that the fishing treaty between Norway and Finland um, is against Sami rights and should be immediately renegotiated. So in that particular case um, also has many, many levels in which it shows this, this structural difficulty of um, symbolically recognizing the Sami as indigenous people, um, but not uh, recognizing the rights that that, that um, like pertains, but also not necessarily knowing what it means to mark people as indigenous in that area. So it's not just about um, not being able to fulfill those rights, but I'm at times not sure if if Finland as a nation understands what uh, Finland is is doing when it, it recognizes the Sami as indigenous peoples, because Finland is completely ignorant to so many mechanisms that Finland should make available for the indigenous peoples. And it, it's, it's, it's sometimes very baffling to see that. Mm. Is it, so, so we could probably go more into detail uh, on exactly what's the problem of, of fishing in the Deatno River, uh, because it was a struggle between tourist fish, fishermen rights, right, coming in from other places doing tourist fishing, and then the, the indigenous struggle, which is directly connected to livelihoods. But when you say livelihoods, I think that, as I understand it, that doesn't explain it to us from the majority. What does it really mean for a Sami 
that it's a livelihood struggle because it's mm. not only about making money from it, right? No, um, an excellent question now that you put it that way. Um, I would say, mm, while yes, uh, in some ways it is about the money as well, um, because we do not exist in a cultural vacuum. Of course, we are part of this capitalist system where we have to make money. But I would say there is a very, not just, uh, it, it's very difficult to explain, but, but it's, it's, I would say it is a point of principle and in some ways a point of spirituality as well. Uh, where the livelihoods um, are the way in which the Sami people connect with the ancestral lands. It is um, the livelihoods have built in mechanisms where we use the livelihoods not just for food and for well-being, but for taking care of of those lands. And, and what I mean by that is um, be it reindeer herding or be it fishing, uh, the Sami livelihoods always have an element of uh, caretaking and governance over the traditional lands. So when you are fishing, you may simultaneously uh, check on how that particular part of the river is doing. Is there pollution? What, how are the fish behaving? Is there trash on the beaches? It can be very... Uh, overarching or it can be very concrete or detail oriented, but there is always this, um, this philosophy of, um, taking care of the area as a thank you for providing food to you. And so, uh, it connects, uh, to, uh, this, like, spiritual aspect of, of being indigenous and being, um, being Sami. And it, it is a definitely one of the cultural, like, building blocks that we have. But I would say there is a, another dimension, which is um, the value of being able to sustain yourself. In, in Sami culture, or perhaps even in, in indigenous cultures in general, but in this case, in Sami culture, um, one of the sacrosanct values that we have, I would say, is the fact that we know that our ancestors were able to survive and to thrive um, with exactly whatever it was that the earth or the ancestral lands provided them with. So the things that we value more than anything is to be able to do the same. And learning the traditional livelihoods and learning the ways in which our ancestors thrived on those lands for thousands of years, it, 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 it is basically a sacred practice. And uh, it also gives us hope that we do not need to rely on colonist mechanisms and colonizing ways in order to sustain our culture. Um, and it's about existing without uh, this Finnish context or Norwegian context, but rather existing just as a Sami doing Sami livelihoods. So, um, so yeah, it, it's a very important distinction to, to make that this is definitely not just about the money and not just about providing for your family, but it has many, many aspects that um, are completely foreign to, to most people. And, um, and I think um, in terms of, of that particular case in Teatnu, where uh, one of the opposing forces to Sami rights protection was the fishers who come there uh, as a means of uh, free time fishing or, or recreational activities, um, I find it uh, insulting that they would uh, use um, the Sami constitutional rights as, how would I say this, they use the same rhetoric that, that we use. They say it is their constitutional rights as Finns to fish in a Finnish river and uh, the Sami rights should not uh, overstep their constitutional rights to fishing. And um, while I understand that legally, I suppose, uh, they have an argument for this, I find it insulting that they would consider Teatnu a Finnish river. It is an insult to me as a Sami. Um, but also, it misses the point completely. 
because the Sami don't think of it as, or yeah, well, it is it is a sort of freedom from colonizing mechanisms and from colonizing land use. Uh, but it is more so about uh, doing what is our duty towards the land. It's not about recreation. It's not about fun. It's not about um, experiences and and uh, whatever it is that that people come to the the magical Arctic to to experience. But rather, it is a duty that we as a people hold to our ancestral lands and and that um, their willingness to to have their recreational activities in our rivers is one of the things that is causing the pollution that we need to then clean up after them etc etc but yeah that's it and I think in that sense that uh, what I have heard you talk about it before and also read about it it is an example of of precisely where you get all these dimensions well the, the colonization does manifest itself in that conflict in, in yes. between the majority, uh, the, the Finnish majority, or uh, and, and non-indi- those with non-indigenous backgrounds who don't understand that actually what they are doing is is an example mm. of, of colonizing. But but then there, uh, and you wouldn't think of it maybe from a majority Finnish perspective. Now I'm speaking from a Swedish minority perspective myself, but still consider myself having been brought up within the legal framework that doesn't have any indigenous roots, uh, you wouldn't think of it as such when you hear about it. But then in the way that you now explain it, it becomes quite clear to me that, of course, it is it mm. is yet, yet another example. But the one, uh, another example where, where I think that we all understand that there is something fishy with this is the mining activities. Mm. And that's something that you just spoke up about. I think I read an a column in the in Huvustadsbladet where you had written about what's yep. going on in the Käsivarsi, the the arm of Finland, which is also Sami indigenous territories. Yes. And <laughs> for a long time uh, in Finland, we have not. Well, there's a lot of exploration going on in Finland, mm. but it's been staying away from Sami territory because of these specific. Issues. I think there have been a few attempts, but because of the legal issues with, with the Sami rights, there's not been that much. But could you tell me what's going on in the in the arm of Finland now, and what's the situation there? Uh, sure. Um, I'd like to preface it by saying that um, those are not my lands, and I'm not from there, so I'm only speaking as as a fellow Sami who experiences similar kinds of, of mechanisms of intrusion. Uh, but basically, yes, it is, it is true that what you say, that there are no mining, uh, mining activities in, in the Sami territories that are in Finland. Uh, in Sweden and, and Norway and Russia, uh, things are different. But Finland, um, or the Sami territories in Finland, remain the last uh, Sami territories per nation where mining activities don't yet exist. Um, one of the reasons for this, I believe, uh, is the fact that there is quite little, um, like massive infrastructure to, to our territories, which is why the opposition for, uh, the Arctic Railroad project is so heavy, because we believe that infrastructure of that kind would bring with it more mining activities. Um, but not to get on a tangent, the problems with the Finnish mining law uh, are very similar land rights conflicts that, that the Sami have experienced in that it too is is a law which does not consider at all the the Sami right to to governance of Sami territories. Um, however, I think um, one of the reasons why uh, the mining activities in Sápmi and the the prospect of a mine in in Kiesparvotas uh, in in the Finnish arm. Um, or rather the Sami arm, actually. One of the reasons why it's gained so much traction in media uh, is because the Sami are not the only ones experiencing the negative impacts of the current mining law, uh, but rather um, many Finns uh, around the, the country have uh, woken up to a situation where there is a prospect of a mine in their local territories and uh, and they have realized that they have no influence over the issue. And 
I think that is one of the the key factors why so many Finns have immediately realized what the prospect of a mine in Gietarwatas would be about. Um, I'm not entirely sure how much people understand the aspect of Sami reindeer herding and the destruction that a mine would do to it uh, in in this particular case. Um, it could be that people just hear the words mine and and nature and they go, that's bad. Um, but I mean, all the better for Sami if people are at least partially on board. But the mine mining prospect in Gietarotas is also a very good example of how uh, land grabs in Sami territories disproportionately affect different parts of our communities. Because the thing that people don't really realize is that the Sami, um, not just the fact that that we don't have access to all the lands that you can see on the map, and it's not just empty lands, but there are roads, there are uh, electric um, lines going on, there are uh, districts that are completely prohibited from the Sami, there are loggings um, and whatnot. There's a lot of destruction going on in our territory. So it's not just the areas that you can see on a map that are available to Sami livelihoods, but rather also the fact that uh, Sami reindeer herders have uh, always organized themselves according to different uh, areas of land in that um, various families, various parts of the culture have always governed specific parts of land. Uh, their ancestral lands. The current Finnish system for this called Paliskunnat uh, is a colonizing mechanism and it is disrupting the the ways in which Sami herd reindeer. Uh, but still, there exists a very strong cultural norm in that um, the reindeer herding districts, most of the time, are divided in a way where all families have specific parts of of that land. And so when you look at the reindeer herding district, which is uh, in Kiehtarohtas, you might see that it is a huge area of land. But actually, when you divide the land into the realistic parts of land that each reindeer herder has in their use, uh, you see it very quickly becomes uh, significantly smaller per uh, person, per community. And so if um, this mining reservation that has happened in in Hietakero uh, or or Erkonasita, uh, if that mine would actually become reality, it would not end reindeer herding for all of the reindeer herders in Kietarohtas, but rather um, specific families and specific people in specific villages, meaning that you are not weakening the culture for all the people, but you are ruining it completely for specific generations to come. Uh, and this is an example of how uh, we simply do not have uh, a way for the majority and for the state to understand uh, that the Sami are not just fighting for their people, but rather if it affects us disproportionately, we will become even weaker because then we will be scattered even more throughout the territories that we have. And we will become it will become much harder to protect ourselves if we have just uh, a, a single family here and uh, and another village over there. So we have to keep this uh, very strong opposition to any land grabs because we know that it, we can't be subject to this divide and conquer strategy because it will ruin us. Mm. And maybe even more so the Arctic Railway, which you now mentioned. Mm-hmm. It transgresses much more territory. Yes. So, so does that that means that it it, it does dis- disrupt even more. Yes, and in, specifically in that case, uh, the Arctic Railroad would, uh, as it stands now, it would go through the areas that are specifically reserved for the Nuesta Sami, uh, the Skold Sami in in English, uh, who are severely endangered both in language and in culture and uh, and if reindeer herding would have to end in their area uh, it would it could possibly mean the end of the skull sami culture this is what they have they have proclaimed in their territory because the skull sami uh, are 
a few hundred people at most, a uh, few hundred people speak their language at most. So they are very vulnerable to to land grabs. Um, but the Arctic Railroad also, in, in a similar way to to the mining uh, mining reservation, but the Arctic Railroad in specific is an excellent case to to show that everything in indigenous culture, in Sami culture, relies upon the access to ancestral lands. If we don't have access to lands, if we don't have access to bring our livelihoods to the lands where they're supposed to be, the entire basis for our culture uh, falls upon itself. Um, so when the Skoltsami say that uh, the Arctic Railroad would end our reindeer herding and could risk the destruction of our entire culture, uh, they mean it in the way that reindeer herding is the basis for their entire society. It's the way that their families are formed. It's the, it's the reason why the language still exists in those areas. Uh, it's about, uh, social circles. It's about, um, taking care of the land, as I said before. Uh, and it's about history and exchanging knowledge. So if you don't have those mechanisms in place anymore, um, there suddenly is is no traditional reason for you, no no working reason for you to use that language anymore, because the words that uh, you have used in terms of reindeer herding become obsolete when you can't herd reindeer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the access to land is the thing that protects indigenous cultures from bankrupting themselves, basically. And there is, uh, there is a lot of research on indigenous people that have experienced loss of land. Cultural Survival, the organization, made a report, I think, in 2015 or 2016, where they had discovered that loss of land for indigenous people leads to uh, disproportionate uh, social exclusion and even increases the suicide rate within the indigenous people. So actually loss of ancestral land and, and livelihoods um, does in fact kill people. So we're talking about very serious issues here. Mm, mm. And that happens all around the world. I think yes. it's not, not just in the Sami territories. And, yes. and maybe that is also the most difficult thing to understand when you do not have this land issue within your blood veins, is that how much everything depends on that connection. But you who have been, so you have been uh, moving uh, in and out of Sami territories and, and you do not maybe, you have... If I understood you correctly, it is the Deatnu River around that area where you have your ancestral roots. Well, yes, my my ancestors have moved between uh, the village of of Anar or Inari and uh, Anarjohka, which is uh, one of the side rivers to to Deatnu. Um, so in my ancestry, there are both uh, Inari Sami people and then the Deatnu Sami people. Mm. Um, but yes, so my, how should I say this? In indigenous politics, we talk a lot about the sense of belonging, where we think we belong. Uh, I believe myself to, to belong very strongly between uh, Inari and, and Anarjohka. Those are like my, my lands. But I feel very home in Otsejohka and in Deatno. It's very, very uh, familiar to me. And I immediately, when I go there, I recognize what is happening. Mm, mm. How do you see, so now there's a lot, I mean, nobody escapes questions about sustainability and the need to change. And a lot of focus, what I have also been working on here in Finland about the, how to make food more sustainable, and people are really getting, really aware on those topics. But how do you see, is there any connection, because what I experience since I work on both sides a little bit in my research, is that when I, for example, post something on the threat uh, towards nature that comes from extractive operations or even indigenous issues, there's not that much of engagement. But then when I post something on these kind of solutions that are here, right here, uh, below our, our own feet, then people get engaged. And so what you just said is that you need the need for, you need the, uh, the support from the majority. And I, I just wonder, how do you look at this? I mean, you live in Helsinki, so you probably also, you, you are 
you are immersed in the Helsinki sustainability perceptions, and then you have the struggle up north that is something completely different. Are there any linkages there? I would say, well, uh, this is one of um, one of the ways in which I consider myself culturally privileged, if I may, because my traditional livelihood, uh, the one that is in my family, apart from fishing, is handicrafts. And handicrafts, you can practice wherever. Uh, the only uh, difficult part for me is is the fact that the people that I learn handicrafts from usually live up north. And and the materials that I would need for the most traditional handicrafts are only available up north. But I can still um, practice and, and sew my own garments um, in the south. I don't need to be up north to do that. And so I actually have a way of practicing my traditional livelihoods uh, down here. Um, but if I would be a reindeer herder, for example, uh, I would be I would be worried constantly because I wouldn't be able to be up north where the work is. Um, but I, I would say that um, I think we have a systemic problem in sustainability circles um, regarding the Sami where I think Finns and, and a lot of people in the sustainability and climate movement are very blind to uh, the kind of racism that Sami that the Sami face, and specifically Sami reindeer herders. Sami reindeer herders are regularly subject to violent hate speech, to to misinformation, and Sami reindeer herders are also. Um, blamed for uh, accelerating climate change, for for not knowing how to how to use the land, for uh, overherding their reindeer, and uh, accused of of uh, using the government's money for whatever it is, and and using the EU support for for livelihoods and whatnot, and so. I feel like that is a blind spot in Finland. That the fact that Sami reindeer herders among other Sami livelihoods, are also sustaining the Arctic biodiversity as it is with reindeer herding. Reindeer herding, sure, it has a huge impact on the Arctic, but there is nothing that would suggest that it is a negative impact on its own, but rather uh, areas where reindeer are densely packed and where the the ground can't necessarily sustain that many reindeer, uh, people never take into consideration the fact that the Sami have not chosen to herd reindeer in the way that, that we are herding it now. And that actually uh, the Sami reindeer herding system is different to the Finnish reindeer herding system, but the law makes no difference for the two. But rather the Sami have to exist in a Finnish framework and not self-govern uh, and so the Sami are mostly powerless to impact any legal frameworks that affect the, their traditional livelihood, but also get accused when the livelihood isn't partially or completely sustainable. Uh, and I think that one of the most important things we could do in within climate and sustainability movement is to speak up for for Sami livelihoods and to speak up against misinformation and racism. Because this is nothing new. Indigenous people have always been accused of being either too primitive or too modern, so they can't be indigenous, or either we don't do anything actually with the land that we have or we use it too much. There is always a double standard. Indigenous people can never do what's right uh, if if the, the odds are set up against us. Um, but one of the things that I was particularly insulted to hear, uh, which happened during this, this fishing uh, dispute in 2017, was that um, when the Sami were stripped of almost 80% of our fishing rights in the, in the river valley, and tourists were given new, um, many recreational fishing activists, um, including famous actors and whatnot, were celebrating that the Tetan River is now protected and the salmon is now protected. Um, many people were saying that, oh, but the Sami don't just understand that the Sami are overfishing this river and the Sami don't understand why it's important that the salmon is protected. And it was so insulting and so racist, in my view, because... Um, the entire foundation of Sami culture in that river valley is the existence of the salmon. Uh, so it is completely impossible for me to understand 
how it would not be a matter of life and death for us that the salmon is, is protected. Um, but the fact that um, the Sami continuously get accused of not actually being sustainable speaks volumes on how ignorant people are on how our livelihoods work, but also completely blind to the fact that our livelihoods are not, as it stands, allowed to exist in a way that we would choose them to be, but rather it is the Finnish laws and the Finnish ways of governance that force our livelihoods into places where we wouldn't put them. You mentioned now the climate movement. Do you feel that all of the mobilizations that happened last year with uh, Greta Thunberg and these uh, groups uh, of young people that are, I mean, you have a lot of young Samis that are working now also for your rights, but but then you have millions and millions of, of youth in the same generation that are also urging for the need to change. Do you think that there there is a possibility of bridging those movements? Oh, sure. Um, but it is difficult. Um, and I I don't think it's difficult because uh, because Greta Thunberg might be opposed to it or, or because the climate movement might be opposed to it. It's just a difficult bridge to cross because simply put, the majority of people are just blind towards their own privileges. And I'm glad you mentioned Greta Thunberg. Uh, in 2018, uh, I held a speech at the Helsinki Climate March where Greta was also attending. And I actually uh, sent some feedback to uh, a climate organization that um, that had uh, made like this uh, Facebook post or it wasn't on Facebook, but like a social media post uh, where they were reminiscing about this climate march. And uh, and they said, oh, remember when Greta Thunberg was in Helsinki and we had these and these people marching and whatnot. And I sent them a message saying, I don't care about the publicity. But I would like you to see that you had a chance of lifting up marginalized voices in the climate movement and you didn't do so, but instead raised up this world famous name that everybody already knows is against climate change. Um, and so these are the kinds of examples that I mean is that it's not just about um, connecting with uh, indigenous people's movements and climate movements, but it's the fact that oftentimes um Indigenous peoples don't have the energy to fight for visibility within those spaces as well when we are already fighting against everything else. And then the majority led movements for climate justice um, are oftentimes blind to the fact that that indigenous people don't get the floor ever. Um, and so there is this choice to make where the climate movement needs momentum, they need visibility, but the climate movement should also have to um, lift up marginalized voices within themselves. Uh, and and that spotlight isn't big, and it's very difficult to share. That's, uh, that's really an important question, and I think it will become even more important with this kind of green growth with uh, windmills and I've seen also that maybe not so much in Finland yet maybe because of the infrastructure part that you mentioned before but in Sweden and Norway this is a clear threat the, the the green the green growth ideology that comes a little bit with part not all of the climate movement but part of it so that I don't know if you if if there's something on that topic that you have worked on Uh, well, I haven't personally worked on these issues, but I'm very familiar with them because one of the planned wind uh, park expansions now happening in Satmi is actually right uh, close to the, the Tatnu border. Um, so it would be if there was a wind park in, in that area where they are planning it now, it would severely affect me as well. But yes, it, it, it's a huge debate uh, on the Norwegian side right now. And I know that, that people in in our territories are afraid of this, this development um, because the fact of the matter is that Norway is supposed to be the country where the Sami have it best. Norway is the country that has ratified the ILO Convention 169 and Norway Compared to the other countries where Sami live, Norway is pouring in huge amounts of money and resources into Sami decision making and, and Sami governance. And yet 
this is the debate that they're having. And I, for the life of me, cannot understand uh, how Norway has reasoned with themselves that this is okay to do. And the fact that they have first put in so much effort and and symbolical gestures and and whatnot into lifting up Sami rights from from the ditch in, in which they were, and then somehow convincing themselves that that building windmills on Sami lands and Sami reindeer herding territories is an okay thing to do, um, and also. Um, Compared to Norway, I think the Sami in Finland are even more vulnerable than that because uh, Norway has, um, it's by no means a perfect one, but they have a mechanism for the Sami to participate in parts of the governance regarding their lands. But in Finland, that structure is highly symbolical. It's very controversial and the Sami and and uh, the Ministry for Forestry um, or Metahalitus as well, uh, have practically completely opposing views on how good or how well this mechanism of negotiation is working. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that um, out of the Sami territories in Finland, 90% of, of that area is owned by Metsähallitus and controlled by Metsähallitus. So the Sami in Finland are actually very, very vulnerable to any um, government-supported uh, land actions that might happen in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. But so, can you just spell it out? What is the real threat from windmill parks for anyone that wouldn't know that for the Sami culture? Well, um, one of the things one has to consider before talking about the actual wind parks is the fact that never is it just about the one park. Uh, the Sami people always see it as a development of larger colonizing actions. Uh, so where we see um wind parks we don't think okay this is one wind farm but rather oh first it was the mine and then it was the railroad and now it is the wind farm so we see it as another attack on our lands the second thing you need to consider is it's never just the finished wind park but the construction process itself can be very very destructive to arctic nature and take up a lot more space uh, than a finished wind park would because even such a thing as building roads uh, is damaging to to the Arctic and is damaging to Sami livelihoods. And it, again, when we, uh, as I mentioned earlier on the example from Kietarwatas, it always hurts Sami disproportionately. So it's always someone who gets hurt worse. So there's that. Um, but the third thing about the actual wind is the fact that there's a lot of research and also uh, testimonies from reindeer herders that reindeer are actually afraid of the windmills. And so even though you would leave a wind park unrestricted with no um, with no borders or anything, the reindeer will simply avoid going into that area completely, meaning that even though you wouldn't physically restrict that area from reindeers, you are still vastly diminishing the area where reindeer will naturally go because they will not go near the wind farms. And uh, one of the bigger uh, crises is that, that the Sami on the Norwegian side have had uh, is in the wind park of uh, Fusen, which is in central Norway. Uh, and Fusen, as I understand it, is one of the most ambitious wind park projects in the entire uh, EU area. And uh, Fusen um, not just um, had a PR disaster with, with the Sami, but also like ruined literally uh, entire like endangered culture, cultural areas. Uh, because you have to again remember the fact that the Sami are not just a homogeneous people, but rather we have lots and lots of, um, I don't want to call them subcultures necessarily, but that's perhaps the best comparative word in that we have smaller cultural areas with their own Sami languages and their own distinct garments and cultural ways. And so fools then happened to be in one of those areas. And so it was not just the Sami, but a marginalized Sami group that got hurt with, with the wind park in, in their territories. And, uh, and it didn't make things any easier that that they um this wind park was completely rubbish at handling the the national debate around around this but rather uh 
um, when they finally gave into the fact that, okay, there are tensions, large tensions between this industry and the Sami people, um, they ended up making headlines for the fact that they had invited uh, the local Sami to be the catering service for the opening of the wind park, meaning that this was their idea of of good um like stakeholder relations or whatnot. And there was an uproar. It was a complete disaster and they had to apologize for it. So it's not just about, or in this case, but, but generally as well, it's never just about the land grab, but it's also the fact that usually the discussions around these land grabs bring out attitudes that we have known the whole time are there, uh, but it's still very hurtful to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we will start to wrap up here. I think we've covered quite quite a lot of different things. I'm so grateful to have had the time. You know so much about different uh, aspects uh, in different places. Um, so I'm, I feel fortunate to have had the possibility to talk to you, Petra. Uh, and I I really hope that we can continue the conversation. Um, my interest in this is, of course, to, to bring out awareness and to make these kind of bridges that maybe aren't there possible on the right terms so that they do not do more harm than good. Or they should only be doing good and no harm. <laughs> Great. So, so uh, really, thank you, Petra, and, um, and let's, let's continue this conversation. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hanke Sustainability Unwrapped podcast.